1 Peter 5. And while you're turning there, by the way, it's good to have Alice with us. Lundberg, the Lundbergs were in our family, or were in our church family. The Lundberg family was in our church family a few years ago. Now they're our ambassador to Washington, D.C. <laughs> now they, go to, they live in that area, go to the Wells Church there in Washington, D.C. She's going to camp, teen camp with, the, with our campers. We're glad for that and glad for the far box accommodating her. That's good. All right, let's look in 1 Peter chapter 5. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5, we're, we're going to read just verses 5, 6, and 7. 1 Peter 5, verses 5, 6, and 7. It says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Let's uh, pray one more time. Lord, thank you for the great privilege of being saved, and in addition to that, being part of a church family that we can come together with and formally and informally enjoy each other's presence and then learn from you. Thank you for this word today and please teach us and teach me even as I preach it and help, help us to conform to your will as we look at this word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. What we're going to talk about is, Lord willing, today and then the next Sunday, just two-part message is today what God says about pride. And then next week, we'll put a little more emphasis on the other half of that, is what God says about humility. Um, in, this in this context, since we read the passage, it's somebody writing it, it's Peter writing it, and he's writing it to a group of churches. And he he's, uh, has a First Peter and Second Peter. We're in the end of First Peter. And in the context here of First Peter, Peter had... You know, he, he does all this instruction, but through the book, he, he will address people groups. He addressed servants, and I think it was in chapter 2. He said, servants, here's how you need to position yourself uh, toward your masters. <clears throat> and then chapter 3, Peter says, uh, you wives, wives, here's some counsel for you uh, in regards to yourself, your appearance, your, your spouse, your husband, uh, your spirit. Uh, here's your counsel. Here's the word of God for you. Servants, wives, and then husbands, ye husbands, he says in chapter 3, verse 6. Here's what you need to know. And then he goes on to speak about um, uh, pastors. In the, at the end of chap in, in chapter 5, it says, uh, the elders which are among you. And the, the way he speaks of elders, sometimes elders could mean just an older person, but the way, the way he speaks of it has a pastoral tone. It talks about feeding and shepherding the flock, and just like the chief shepherd and so he speaks to now another people group as pastors or elders. And then he talks about younger people at the beginning of the verse we read. And then he says, yea, all of you. And as he winds down this book, 
he gives an instruction that basically is clearly for all of us, and it relates to the concept of a humble disposition versus a proud disposition. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Why? Here's a reason, because God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, unto the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. So Peter brings up the topic uh, at the end of the book of pride versus humility. He gets everybody's attention. He says, here's your choice. Choose humility. Don't choose pride. And here's why. And hopefully next week we'll, we'll break down the, those verses a little bit more. But here's the, here's the point. Um, a spiritual leader is telling us how to handle the whole concept of the idea of pride. The whole idea of pride. Now, they're, they're, our world, our secular, godless secular world is calling this month Pride Month, right? Um, correct, I mean. Um, they're calling it that. And um, so <clears throat> what does the world say about pride? Let's, let's consider that a little bit. What is the world telling us about pride? You might be believing it. You say, which kind of pride? The LGBT pride and the, all the other ones. Uh, we might be believing what they're telling us about pride. What are they telling us? What is the world telling us about pride? They're telling us, well, on the, the so-called Pride Month that you need to kind of gloat yourself that you support, um, you know, people who embrace sexual perversion uh, between men and men or women and women or mixed up other sorts and that you need to uh, just show some kind of support for that, show pride for that. That's what the world is telling us. And the world is telling uh, in that world that people, those people that are embracing sodomy, lesbianism, transgenderism, and all the other things that are being invented, that group is basically saying we need to be proud. We need to swell and be gloated and be uh, uh, esteem ourselves. And it's almost like you're overcompensating. Uh, it's almost like you're over promoting yourself as a way to make up for the fact that perhaps deep in your conscience you know it's despicable. And so there's this idea of let's be proud, let's be proud, let's be proud, let's be proud about it. So there's this Pride Month and saying, do you support it? Why don't you support it? And we're being pushed in our face. This tolerant world is saying, you pushing this thing in our face. And so there's this pride thing right now, okay? Well, then there's another kind of pride. What else is the world saying about pride? That's not the only thing that's being said. But what else is the world saying? It's saying uh, on another realm, even in a non-sexuality type of deal, what is the world saying? Be proud. It, the world tells you and I to be proud. It says to take pride. That's what the world is saying. It's saying, our, you read billboards, our company takes pride in da-da-da-da-da. And that's what they say. Now, whatever the, what they mean, maybe they mean something else different. <clears throat> I don't know, but they're saying it. Um, and um, I remember in 1992, I graduated from Mesa High School, and I've told you this before. I remember being on campus and being like, you know, the football season, the basketball season, the baseball season, and they try to get the school rallied. Up. Come on, we're going to have a pep rally for the football team. We're going to have a prep rally for the, for the basketball team. And you go in the gym, they get you all hyped up. And like, we need some jackrabbit pride. And that was our mascot is jackrabbit. Jackrabbit, I'm like, jackrabbits, just even if I were to be proud, that's just not good. I just, I can't get excited about a jackrabbit, you know? 
jackrabbit pride, you know, and they try to get you Mesa pride. They'd say jackrabbit pride, and you're just going, ah, oh, it just doesn't seem, you know. If you wanted to be proud, that just that wouldn't work. And if you did want to be proud, so I mean, anyway, so they'd say that they'd try to get you all hopped up, and they make you, they tell you you need to have. They told us that I was on the wrestling team. You need to have some pride. They tell us, tell us to have that. That's what we're told, and, and that's what you're told, and that's what maybe certain athletic coaches tell you, and, and that's what people, certain people that maybe when you graduate from something, you say, you need, to, you need to be proud, and you need to... Now, sometimes people say, when they say that, they might mean, you need to be happy. You need to be honored, be, take honor in this or that. Okay, that's fine. If we're saying that, let's say what we mean then. Let's say what we mean. But, but we're told to be proud, and what does pride mean? It means arrogance. It means to be swollen. Actually, you know the word here that, that um, look at Peter's words. He says, God resisteth the proud. The, the Greek word there has the idea of those who overshine. It means to hypershine, to hyperappear, to exalt oneself above another, to be bloated, pompous, have excess esteem. The Hebrew word means literally to be swollen. The Hebrew word does. And the Greek word means to hyperappear means to be haughty, to be egotistical. So the, words tell, the world's telling us to be that way. What kind of pride is there out there that, we're, that we are told to have or we're tempted to have? What kind of pride is out there? That some, Maybe we have it right now. Maybe I have it right now. But what kind of pride is out there? What sorts of it? There's a pride of race. Yeah. Um, black pride, white pride, brown pride, all these different ones that people have. There's the pride of face, how somebody looks, how somebody addresses, and there's that pride. There's the pride of, um, uh, I'm proud to be an American. There's that pride. There's the pride of saying, I'm a proud Republican. There's the pride of saying, I'm a proud Democrat, which seems like a redundant statement. There's There's the pride of saying, I'm a proud Baptist. There's a pride of saying, I'm a proud Calvinist. There's a pride of saying, I'm proud not to be a Calvinist. There's a pride of saying, I'm proud not to be a Baptist. There's a pride of saying, I'm proud to be gay. There's a pride of saying, I'm proud I'm not gay. Right? There's all, it comes in all kinds of packages. There's the pride of intellect. Look what I know. There's the pride of ignorance. I don't mess with that stuff. I don't know that stuff. Pride can show up in all kinds of ways, can it? There's the pride of one's ball team. Hey, watch it, Pastor. The sons are doing well. There's the pride of still one's ball teams. You can be happy for your ball teams and honored. But the question is, okay, so let's stop a second. I'm bringing this up because it's, it's up in our ears. It's up in our eyes, whether it's a gay issue or not. The concept of pride is constantly being pushed and promoted. So the question is for people who we believe the Bible, the question is, should I, what does God say? What is, is it ever good? Is it ever good to be proud? All right, so let's just do, I have five scriptures we can go to and we'll see God, what God says about pride and the emphasis on humility at the end, and Lord willing, we'll do a little bit of the other balance next week. Number one, go to Proverbs 6. 
First thing God says, one of five scriptures. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6, verse 16 and 17. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yes, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. That was the first of seven. So what does it say? Just stopping right there that God says about pride. He hates a proud look. Now, he didn't even say yet. He does say later on he hates a proud heart. He said in chapter 21, verse 4, a proud, it is sin to have a proud heart. But think about what he's saying here. He doesn't even like the look. I hate a proud, he didn't even go deep. Sometimes it matters what's in the heart. That's true. It even says that in the Bible. But in this subject, he says, I don't even like the look of it. Imagine that. God hates things. God loves things. God hates the look. Now, unfortunately, I have, I have this. I've, I've, I, have my, I got an illustration of myself being a proud look here. Um, I remember, this is funny, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad. Um, I was privileged to have a nice vehicle as a teenager. When I was 16 years old, I had a very nice vehicle, 1966 Chevrolet El Camino, had a custom paint job, and then I painted it again, had nice, it, it was a show car quality that I, get a, that I got the privilege of driving every day, and I even had... Just some good things happen. I remember, as a matter of fact, just I grew up in, as a matter of fact, I grew up driving in nice vehicles, not like Mercedes things, but like nice paint job vehicles most of my life because my dad was a painter. So we had nice vehicles. So when I had my own, I was like, this is nice. And so I got used to, as a matter of fact, people staring at me driving this vehicle. I just kind of got used to it. And um, in fact, the first time I ever got pulled over by a police officer, looking back, after he pulled me over and talked to me and left me go, after a while, I'm like, he wouldn't, he didn't care if he, I wasn't really, he just wanted to talk to me about the vehicle. I was coming home from church on, it was when our church was in Chandler, I was driving south on, north on McQueen late at night, and uh, I was going down McQueen, and this Gilbert police officer pulls me over. He pulls me over and everything. First time I ever got pulled over, I'm like, oh, you know. I was still 16, and, and, um, and he's like, hey, you know. And it, it ended up being like I was going 47 in a 45. You know, you know you're going a little bit over. Yeah, sorry, you know. Here's my registration. Here's my, you know, I didn't. Then he, the rest of the time, he just wanted to talk to me about the vehicle. Hey, where'd you get this? Pretty cool. Look at that dash, a custom bezel on the dash here, huh? Yeah, wow. And he just talked to me about the car the whole time. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm thinking, I was all nervous after a while. I'm like, okay, maybe he's cool now with this, okay? And so it was fine. I never got a ticket, just a warning. But I realized he was just wanting to talk about the vehicle. And so after a while, I realized that, like, sometimes I would literally, this is just 
problem was I drive the vehicle, and sometimes I could see people staring at me. And after a while, I just got, not that every single person was. It was, I'm not saying that. But after a while, you just kind of got used to be, oh, like that. And even driving this way, I'd see somebody go like that, looking at the vehicle. And by the way, my dad gave me the vehicle. So, you know, a lot of credit goes to him, my mom and dad. But then, after a while, I remember driving, and I'd be like, I'm driving, and I'd see a, I'd see a, I'd see a nice vehicle coming the opposite way. I'm like, man, that's a pretty nice vehicle. That's pretty nice. And then sometimes I'd be driving, and I'd be in my nice vehicle. Another vehicle's driving. This guy's in his nice vehicle. And I'd look at his nice vehicle, and I'd see he's looking at my nice vehicle. Look at that, look at that. And he's like, and then after a while, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you following me now? I'm driving in my nice vehicle. There's another nice vehicle coming. I'm not going to look at him. But I am going to look and see if he's looking at me. And so sometimes I would drive in my nice vehicle. I see, oh, I see it. I know what that, I, I know that vehicle right there. We painted one a couple weeks ago. Oh, it's a pretty cool vehicle. And then when it's passed, I'm like, man, that was cool. You know what that is? It's a proud look by this guy. And then what was really bad is if I'm driving, nice vehicle's coming, I see it coming, and I'm, I, I can see a lot better back then. I can see him doing what I'm doing. He's looking at my car, and he's wanting to rubberneck looking at my car, and I'm wanting to rubberneck looking at his. And so we both kind of go like that a little bit. Like, and I'm like, boy, that's two proud looks. That's bad, you know. <laughs> that is a proud look. That honestly is a proud look. And they can be worse. But God says, I hate that. I hate a proud look. What do I really look like? What do you really look like? We can do better than this because God gives us alternatives that we'll look into. Number two, he says he hates a proud look. Number two, it even gets a little more um, extreme. Look what it, chapter 16, chapter 16, verse 5. Okay, the look and now the heart. Okay, he talked about the look he doesn't like. Now he's going to go down into the heart. And here's the statement, kind of a twofold statement here. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That's chapter 16 of Proverbs, verse 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. When it says abomination in the Bible... That's an extreme statement. Abomination. That means just totally disgusting. Um, repulsive. You ever have food that's repulsive to you or disgusting? Disgusting food, repulsive food. Anybody want to quickly say what's a, maybe a teenager, what's a really bad food? Don't say camp food because it's going to be eggs. okay. Eggs. All right, Alice hates eggs. Repulsive to her. All right, anybody else? Lori? Ooh, yeah, that, that's an abomination. That's got to be an abomination. M&M's mixed with ketchup. All right, so there's certain foods. Go ahead. I have a 
Ooh. Okay, yeah, blue we can do without. Yeah, that's an abomination to me. Okay. All right, and to you and probably others. All right, there's certain foods right that is disgusting. doesn't matter how you handle it. I, I've told you before that I just I don't like javelina. I mean, if I was starving, I'd find a way to eat it. But I've told you before, like years ago, we had a guy, when my father-in-law was a pastor of this church, we had a guy in, our, in this church. He was, a, he was a good guy. I like him. And, but he, and he liked to hunt. And whenever we have a dinner on the grounds, he almost always would bring javelina. Yeah, I shot this javelina out in the desert and whatever. And he'd bring javelina. Like, oh, cool javelina. He have it in a crock pot. I'm like, cool, I'm going to try some javelina. Try some of this, try some of that. And I'd taste the javelina. I'd be like, oh, can't do that one. Not like it. Now, if, I'll just, pre- uh, just let me preface. If anybody likes javelina, honestly, it's fine. I don't care. You know, we talked about Peter today in Sunday school. Rise and eat. You know, devour. Rise and eat it. That's fine. This is for me. This is my opinion, and, I'm, and then we'll get to a non-opinion, the Word of God, in just a moment. But I don't, I just didn't like it. And so the next time uh, he brought some, he brought some javelina, he's like, I'm going to put some, uh, I'm going to put some uh, barbecue sauce on it. Oh, cool. Maybe that'll make it pretty better. Barbecue sauce. He brings, he has barbecue sauce. And, and I ch- start, I'm like, yeah, hmm. Then I'm like, man, I just can't do that one. Can't do that one. And then I think he brought it another time, and he did another kind of season. I tell him, like, man, I just, it don't matter how you season it, sauce it, slice it. Not for me. Now, again, if I'm starving and you have javelina, I'll show up at your house and try to get through this thing. But did you know God's the same way? Now, listen to this. Pastor, I heard you talk about pride, gay pride. I tell you this much, Pastor. I am not. I don't go along with this gay pride. But I am proud to be an American. Well, if you're proud to be anything, it's an abomination. He said, but... But pastor, I know you say that, you know, you shouldn't be pride, you shouldn't have this gay pride, but I'm a proud Baptist. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Well, pastor, okay, I'm not a proud Baptist, but I'm a proud Christian. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. But pastor, I am a proud Republican. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Even if you get a bunch of them together and they seem right and hand join in hand and they're in a big rally and most of the world is in favor of them, though hand join in hand, everyone is an abomination to the Lord. You know why? Because like Havelina, God doesn't care how you slice it, sauce it, spice it, whatever. It's an abomination to him. The attitude he hates and I find it too much in me and us. And I'm amazed at how many Americans and how many Christians say, it's okay to be proud. Did you know most Americans think it's patriotic to be proud? But you know it's exactly opposite. 2 Chronicles 7, 14 says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, and fall on their face, then will I heal their land. That's patriotic. To be broken for yourself and for your country, that's patriotic. But to keep being proud is to keep going down the road of destruction because pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall for the nation, for Sodom and Gomorrah, for an individual Christian, 
For a church, it's the, it's, the simple, it's the thing on the dashboard that says you're heading to a dead end. God hates just that one thing if that's all we got. No matter how it's sliced, he says it's an abomination. And that's the next thing that leads us, what else he says is this next thing. Notice this. Chapter 28, verse 25. It tends to be a, the root problem in our relationships. Sometimes we think our relationship problem is, if I just had enough money, we wouldn't have this problem. If I lived in this different situation, I wouldn't have this problem. If I had this type of possession, I wouldn't have this problem. Did you know pride it tends to be a root problem in our relationships? Proverbs 28, 25. He says, he that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife. He that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention. These are extreme statements. In other words, I, I, I do, my wife and I were constantly like, guys, we need peace in this house. We want peace in our marriage. We want peace in our house. We want peace in our car. You know, one time... Susie was a little girl, and the little boys were still little, and we get in the van, and the boys were riled up, and Susie says, boys, come on, be quiet. Mommy wants a piece of quiet, yeah. you know. You know, Mom, we like peace, you know. And, um, but what upsets most of our peace is pride in the picture. So number three, pride, a proud heart, stirs up strife. Now, Pastor... You're saying, Pastor, I like being a Republican, I like being a Baptist, I like being an American, I like being, then like it. Be, it's an honor to be. It's an honor to be an American. It's an honor to be a Baptist. It's an honor to have the Bible version you have. Those are all an honor. All right, so look what it says. Everyone that is proud heart stirreth up strife. The idea is, why is there fighting? Why is there always fighting? Why is there fighting between people? Why is there fighting between certain things? There's a proud heart, at least in one part of the equation. I, I, in my, in, what I've told myself is, if there's strife in my home, I can eliminate my part by trying to eliminate a proud heart and just swallow my pride, accept some rebuke, you know, bite my tongue, be more patient. It's humbling to be patient. And that can eliminate my... If there's two parties and there's a lot of contention, you can probably eliminate 50% of it on your side if you humble yourself. You can't always fix the other person. The idea here of strife, it doesn't mean that you're defending somebody against harm or injury. It's the idea of somebody who's a fight picker. You want to keep arguing. You want to keep pushing. You want to put others down. You want to have the last word. Pride stirs up strife. Number four. Let's go to Ezekiel. This is interesting. I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I want you to make this observation. It's kind of one of those FYI things. Ezekiel. We're not used to seeing Ezekiel on a Sunday morning. <clears throat> Try to quickly describe the context where you're going to Ezekiel 16. We're going to see the fourth thing God says about pride. 
Well, I'll just tell you what it says, and we'll get into it. Ezekiel 16, verse 49 and 50, we'll see that pride characterizes, listen to this, pride characterizes the sodomite culture. That's as in today also. Pride was a characteristic thousands of years ago, three or four, whatever it was, of a sodomite culture. It is still today. Ezekiel 16, verses 49 to 50, the prophet is comparing a wicked country to the ways of Sodom. That's the language there. He's saying, Jerusalem, you've been like Sodom. You've been, in fact, Sodom's like your sister. You're just like your sister in some of your ways. And notice what he says, Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Sodom was full of Sodomites. Amen. What was the iniquity of Sodom? This is the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride. Fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty in your face. Yeah, this is me. They were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. What did God just describe? He's talking to Jerusalem through the prophet. He's saying, you know what? You're like your sister Sodom. He's, he's calling them back to the whatever, how many years before that, saying Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom was, their iniquity was their proud. It went along with, watch this, wealth. It seems like wealthy cultures tend to fester what we'd say the LGBT culture. Wealthy cultures tend to fester sodom, sodomy, sodomites and lesbianism. That's what it was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Well-watered plains, they had a beautiful spot, great agriculture, great economy. Um, the king of Sodom at one point had given Abraham some gifts. He had some wealth to draw from. It was a wealthy place. They were proud about their wealth. They were proud about their location. They're proud about that. They had a lot of free leisure time. Lots of it, the text says. A lot of it. So much so that they weren't even tending to real people's needs like the poor and needy. And they were in their face about their sexual perversion. Verse 50 says, haughty. Yes, this is me. Yes, this is me. Haughty. And they committed abominations, God says, before me. Therefore, I, God's language was, I took them away as I saw good. It characterized the sodomite culture. By the way, this, is not, this, was not a, this was not a fable. Jesus in the New Testament acknowledged the veracity of the Genesis 19 account of a literal Sodom and Gomorrah and literal perversions and literal destruction in that place. <clears throat> Jesus acknowledged that. One man said, one man's observation, I'm going to read this, this is interesting, listen to this, it's very, just please listen, we'll try to move along here, <clears throat> about, he describes pride, pride avoids prayer, avoids God's word, avoids a confession, avoids an apology, avoids saying thanks, sometimes avoids eye contact, sometimes avoids a greeting, pride rolls its eyes, pride blames the other, pride belittles the other. Pride minimizes their own faults. Pride maximizes the faults of others. Pride criticizes often, 
compliments hardly. Pride demands its way. Pride manipulates its way. Pride brags its way. Pride can't stand to be slighted. Pride can't stand to be made to wait. Pride can't stand to be ignored. Pride is a poor loser and a pompous winner. If there's an argument, pride must win it. If there's a rebuke, pride will not hear it. If there's a grudge, pride must keep it. If there's an offense, pride must take it. Pride does not deny self. Pride is full of self. Self-assertion, self-esteem, self-promotion, self-absorption, self-inflation. Pride will not come unto Christ. Pride will not learn of Him, of His meekness and lowliness of heart. Oh, but you say it's natural for us to be proud. Yes, it is natural. It's natural to our sin nature. That's its natural and original habitat. But in the new nature given us in Christ Jesus, pride finds no soil to grow in. Pride must starve in Christ. For in Him, in the new nature given us in Christ Jesus, must come forth new fruit, bearing such things as love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. To demonstrate that the Christ life is truly the Christ life who is the antithesis of all pride. So that really think, makes us think, whatever all this is, this is not Jesus, right? So our culture is saying, be proud, be proud. Gay and non-gay pride, be, pride, be proud, prideful. That's what our leaders in our culture are saying, but what is our spiritual leaders saying? Our spiritual leaders are saying, don't do that. Number five, the remedy for pride is humility. 1 Peter 5.5, 5. there's a lot of scriptures we could go to. But 1 Peter 5.5 says that that's the remedy for pride, is to be humble. To be humble. We've demonstrated that the opposite is devastating. It's, it's, It's not what God asked. But here's what he says, just do this. Peter, I'm glad. Now Peter felt Peter in his life was on the other side of this. I mean, you've been listening to Brother Dave teach us about Peter. We've seen Peter's ups and downs and his little gloated times, and now Peter's telling us, listen, this is not the way to go. All of you, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 5 of Peter, be subject one to another and be clothed with you. Let it come on you. Let it just be part of your life. Let it be part of your attire, just you. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, to the mighty hand of God. What's a, what does it mean to be humble? Because again, our last point is, as we think about pride, what God says is that humility is a remedy for pride. That's our last point. But what is humility? It just means a, 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 this means a deference. You know? You don't get all fall apart if everything just goes exactly, it doesn't go exactly your way. It, it means to be compliant, modest about things. It means to just be down to earth and lowly, meek and lowly in heart. Um, unassuming. Here's what, no, let's not go, think in one extreme or the other. Don't think, oh, it just means you hate yourself. You just hate yourself. You condemn yourself. No, that's not what it means. Jesus didn't. Pride does not mean self-hate, self-condemn. Here's what one man said. I mean, humility doesn't mean that. That's what one man said. Um, 
Humility does not consist simply in thinking cheaply of oneself, so much as in thinking of one's, so much as in not thinking of oneself at all, and of Christ more and more. In other words, it's not like it's an either or. It's like either I get to be proud or I'm just nothing. No, it's not that. Just get over yourself. Get over yourself, man. Quit thinking about yourself. Think of Jesus more and more and let your life be lost in his. That's what we ought to be. It's not I, but Christ. It's not not I and nothing ever more. It's not I, but Christ. The remedy for pride is humility, and we ought to be clothed examples of that for this nation. Uh, there was a teenager at camp that when I was thinking about camp, when I took teens to camp, it was about 20 years ago, a group of teens, and one of the teenagers was, it was fun. We had a lot, you know, they get all excited about the sports. They're thinking about how to train for the sports and how they're going to do basketball and how they're going to do softball and how they're going to do volleyball and how they had other competitions. And you get ready for your solos and duets and choirs and, and everything else. And then the guys make sure they had really good clothes and nice smelling cologne because they want to impress some girls and all that stuff. You know, they didn't, honestly, most of the guys, they didn't even care about the food. They just like, look at those around here, you know, just checking out. And so anyways, but one of the guys is he, he we were playing softball, and, and I was the youth leader at the time, and we were playing softball, and he's out there in center field. And uh, he seemed, he, I, he's a pretty good kid, you know. And uh, he was kind of messing up in the softball game. And it was kind of getting to him. And then finally, the last couple plays, he had this, um, this fly ball come to him, and he told, and he, and he just, he, um, I think it like he tried to catch it and he bobbled it, fell out of his glove, right in center field. And then the next play, he gets another fly ball to him, and he goes like this, holds the glove up, and it tips uh, his. Um, I don't even think he tipped his glove. He totally missed his glove, hit him right on the top of the head, right like this, boink, and it just looked like, you know, I remember Jose Canseco. If somebody remember that happened to him. Uh, bumped him on the head and just like this, and he just goes, oh, and he just sat down right in the middle of center field like that. And he just sat there. He was just upset, you know. And then, um, and then he wanted to come out of the game, so I let, had him out of the game, and he stayed out the rest of the time. And I'm like, okay, no big deal. And I don't remember if we won or not. But then afterwards, the games were done, and I went into the cabin. He was sitting there in the cabin. And I walked in. He was the only one in there. I walked in. I didn't even say anything. I just walked right in. And he spoke up to me. And he said, I said, hey, how's it going? I think I just said, hey, how's it going? And he goes, um, he said, I guess I needed to be humbled. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, God humbled me today. It's like, okay. You know, and I thought, well, that's pretty kind of good, some spiritual thought there. That's good. Showing some maturity. Instead of being like, this isn't fair, this is just a bad glove. Instead of blaming, instead of blaming, it's being honest. Oh, this is good, some maturity here. Maybe he's trying to acknowledge the Lord, teaching him something. He goes, I, I, he just started telling me that. I, I guess I needed to be humbled. And, and I was like, okay, what do you mean? And he goes, well, this is one of those things. He said, I just prayed this morning that if... Um, if I needed to be humbled, that God would do whatever he did, needed to do to humble me because I know that's the right way to go. And God did. It's like, you know, that's pretty good. 
And I was happy he said that. And it showed an element of growth in him. You know, God can bring the bop on the head, and he does that for me. You know, discomfort or some rebuke or something. But let me quickly just say this. I'll say it briefly. How do I do humble? Okay, mm, I'm going to humble. I'm going to be humble. Mm. How do you do humble? Let me just give two things, and we'll try to wind this up. Philippians 2, 3 to 8 teaches us to keep your fixation on Jesus Christ. You become often like what you gaze at. What we stare at and gaze upon and admire long enough, we start becoming like. And we're told to have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2. If I keep my eyes on Jesus, that fixes just about everything. That helps me be humble. How do I do humble? Keep your fixation on Jesus Christ. Read Philippians 2, 3 to 8. Number 2, or letter B if you want, under this point. How do I be humble? 1 Peter 5, 5 tells us to put on humility. The idea is do humble things. It's an active word. Sometimes I'm like, I'm not humble. And then I'm asked to do something like over again. You ever have to do something over again? That's humbling. Well, maybe I needed that. Do humble things. Allow humble things to come upon us, like accept a change in your life or accept non-change in your life or wear something you're not accustomed to wearing or clean something you're not accustomed to cleaning or hear a rebuke you're not used to hearing or redo a job that you thought you did perfectly or pray when nobody's looking or fast or things like that that are just humble things that help you be humble. And I'm just saying we're told to put that clothing on, and we're told that's a key for God's to, to be accessing God's grace. When I, I had a phone, I've had a phone. You ever have your phone go low and you're, you're driving? My phone's going to die. I don't have a plug. Anybody got a plug in? You know, you're getting like, where's it? I've had that, you know, I'm doing business here, and I, you know, my phone's going low, and then I'm in the van. I got a plug, got the iPhone plug, and I got the end, the USB thing, and I'm like, oh, this is an old van. I don't have a USB port in this van. Oh. There's power in the van, but I cannot get to that power because I'm not um, keyed right to get to that power. I have the cord, I have the phone, it's low on power. I have power in the van, but I can't, between that power and me, I, I, I can't access it. It won't come to me. So I get an adapter. All right, go to Walgreens, get one of those adapters, get a double-ported one with two USB things, you know, plug it in, I get the adapter, all right, now I got, the, I got the power. You know, some of us are like that. There's God who has all grace and all power, and we are geared, we're just not ported to get the grace we need from Him. Because Peter said, God resists the proud. It's like, mm, you're not ported right, you're not geared right, you don't have the right prongs. He resists that. But... He gives grace to the humble. If I'm of a humble disposition, I have the right port for God's grace. And that's what I want to have. And that's what you and I need to have. Why live in the flesh? Why live in the power of your own strength? God resists the power but gives grace to the humble.